So it happened to me sometime. I met those profiles and like, hey, I can put 100K. And I'm like, no. And they're like, what do you mean no? Of course I can. I said, no, you cannot. <laughs> and they're very surprised because they know they have the money. Yeah. But I'm like, can you do 100K multiply by 50 times to have a diversified portfolio? And then can you double down on that to do mm. follow on? Yeah. And then when you start to look at that, it starts to be a, a little bit of money. Yes. And then that represents 5% of your net worth to be sure you don't take much risk. You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have an old friend in the house today. Welcome, Arnaud. Hi, Junius. Thanks for having me. Hello. And today, we're going to talk about the topic of angel investing. So, Arnaud, you started off in the tech scene, and you are now the founder of Black Mangroves, and, you know, hobbyist angel investor would that be a good way to describe yourself well i call that night and weekend so i think it's pretty accurate for my angel investing activities mm, yeah and just now we were just saying like angel investing is actually a very expensive hobby well it's a lot of constraint because you're going to lock your money for a very long time and hopefully maybe one day you get, get it. it back get it for the audience today you know we basically want to talk about what should someone be looking out for if they're looking to angel invest right so let's say we use you as a case study how many angel investments do you have today? On my side, I have like a dozen of angel investments today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with a focus on B2B, non-hardware startups. So mm-hmm. usually like more software, marketplace, mm-hmm. SaaS. Mm-hmm. They are split between US, Europe and Southeast Asia in terms of where the company is based. But I think if you want to look at angel, I feel there's not just only about me, but I feel there's three different type of profiles mm-hmm. that, that you can find among the angels. Mm. So you can find the amateur, and I will don't say amateur in a negative way here. It's just mm. about how much time you put into it and how much money uh, you put into it. So the amateur angel, will may do up to half a dozen deals. Mm-hmm. And that is just kind of really more an OB and something you do on the side and it's kind of fun. And if somebody like, that's a friend... It's likely like to be a very restricted uh, deal flow. So likely to be friends, friend of friends. Mm. A few other people that are around you and maybe some former employees, especially mm. if you are an entrepreneur. And how much would they typically put in and so you know, in a very pre-seed kind of deal? Because they don't have so much of a established and, and well-taught approach. They can do very large checks sometimes. Mm. Um, they can go to 25 to 100K per check, mm. um, which is super risky. And the advice would be more to do smaller check and to do more checks mm. to diversify your, your risk profile. So it happened to me sometime I met those profiles like hey i can put 100k and i'm like no and they're like what do you mean no of course i can i say no you cannot <laughs> and they're very surprised because they know they have the money yeah but i'm like can you do 100k multiply by 50 times to have a diversified portfolio and then can you double down on that to do mm. follow on yeah and then when you start to look at that it starts to be a, a little bit of money yes and then that represents five percent of your net worth to be sure you don't take much risk mm. So usually people tend to do too big check to start mm. and in too few companies. So usually is what you will find in the amateur profile. Mm-hmm. And you may heard about those people, but mm-hmm. for how many who didn't get their money back? Yes. So it's super risky. And then if you consider that as a way to support a few people you know and about more the journey, then 
you may just write off that money as soon as you wire it. Mm. Um, and then maybe you're okay with that, but don't do big check. Mm. Then you okay. will get the semi-pro. So the semi-pro will invest more frequently and mm. maybe aim to have 20 to 30 portfolio companies mm. across several years. So of course, don't do 30 in one year because mm. if you do that last year or two years ago, valuation were super high. Yes. Um, this year and next like year timing is the market thing, right? way better timing yes. in terms of valuation of the, those companies. So you're better to spread that across a few years. Um, so the semi-pro is likely to get his money back. Hmm. Uh, still not sure, but likely. Mm. And the pro will be more someone who do 50 to 100 or even if more. And those people sometimes I call super angel. Mm -hmm. uh, usually they are former entrepreneur, pretty successful. Um, that very large deal flow thanks to their name mm. because they build like kind of at least a unicorn before, almost mm -hmm. for most of them. So that profile will be almost full-time or if it's not part-time into it. Um, so that one is the one is more likely to get his money back. So if you look at the three different profiles, right, you know, in terms of the check sizes, would it be the same? Because you're saying for the amateur, right, you, the, you know, they shouldn't be putting 100k at one time. It so, should be like more of a five-digit thing. Yeah, what I've seen is like the amateur is maybe is putting the way bigger check quite mm, often. Mm. But the super angel is super wealthy. So they can definitely afford and they have the right uh, risk um, positioning there. Mm -hmm. Um but what people don't know is you can go as low as 5K as an angel investment. Mm -hmm. And founders sometimes will push back, will ask for 25 or 50, mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily know that you may want to do 25 to 50 deals. Mm -hmm. And that means a lot of money. And it's the money that is going to be locked for at least two, three years until the next round. Mm -hmm. And he's not sure at the next round that first will happen. It's likely the company will fail. Mm -hmm. And second, if it happens, it doesn't mean you will, can get a liquidity event for you as an angel at that time. Yes. So you may likely to be blocked for seven, ten years until maybe there's an M&A, which is the most likely things to happen. Mm. So it's a very long-term thing. Mm. And, and people need to be aware that that money is not going to be available anytime soon. Yeah, so so I think a lot of people who are actually listening into this would probably fall in the amateur category, right? And, you know, what are the things that they can actually learn from the super angels that they can apply to their own investments? Because it includes things like, you know, for example, like an amateur investor, are they able to negotiate for certain terms, right? You know, at, at what point can they actually get their money out? Um, and also even going back one step further, right? How do they actually exit their investment? Right? Do they sell? Do they do a secondary sale? Or like you know things like that. Yeah. So so the um, in terms of terms, if you're a former entrepreneur, it's easier because you usually went through it yourself. Mm -hmm. So then you have an, you have knowledge about that. Mm. Otherwise, you need to learn by yourself. Honestly, it's not that complicated because as soon as you speak English, you have the content <laughs> available available, especially in a, with US people that will share those kind of things. Yes. And you have it's a few books online, about guys. it, like Venture Deals by Brad Feld. Yes. Um, so you have like a bunch of resources. So I feel in that sense, understanding what the term means, there's no excuse. Mm. Uh, what is market standard? That is more difficult to mm -hmm. to note those points. And I guess negotiating power. Well, as an angel, you have barely any power. Yeah, exactly. Because your check is small. Mm. Um, and, and the power will be given to the person putting the bigger check, who also called the lead in the round, and yes. that is likely to be a VC. Yes. Um, so those will be the ones setting up the terms. Sometimes you get the entrepreneur setting up the terms, and that often is called a party round, but then you're likely to have 50 or 100 angels joining. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to set up the terms either on that one. Mm -hmm. um, so terms is unlikely you set up anything. Yeah. Um, 
but one thing that is super challenging and people don't talk too much, mm. and I think is maybe the most important part, is your deal flow. Mm. The most important part is how do you get to see as many company as possible and all the time, mm-hmm. especially when you see some flagship investors like Sequoia, or if not the best investor in the world, they're super aggressive on deal flow. Mm-hmm. They're always doing new initiatives in South Asia. They have like search program, mm. they have a scout program, yes. they have all those initiatives, even if they have maybe the biggest name in the region but that's still the most aggressive at getting deal flow. So it just showed the importance of it. Mm. So as an angel, the most important is deal flow. Get to see as many companies as possible. Mm. And it's why um, now you have something that is quite helpful is a bunch of angel network. Mm-hmm. Um, like syndicates. Syndicate also. So you have you have a bunch of things like that that can help you mm. um, to get deal flow. I will advise to don't do any check before you see at least 100 companies because you need to see what is out there and mm. how it looks like. Mm. It Meaning, doesn't often happen like that because a lot of it, a lot of these angel investors come in in the friends fools round, right? Because FFF family <laughs> yes. friends and fools, yes. so angels will go into the fools yeah. category. Yeah. Um. But what I've seen also fun is angels that are not very aware of what is it to be an angel. They take a lot of time to the entrepreneurs, so they will ask like multiple calls, mm. and, and at the end, to don't invest. Mm-hmm. That is very tiring for an angel. So at least at the beginning, go more at demo days. Um, get to go to those kind of thing or presentation that I make to a group mm-hmm. um, to really respect the time of the entrepreneur because mm. for entrepreneur is a very brutal time to raise the round. Mm. So don't waste the time of an entrepreneur. Yes. Join calls or, or demo days, mm. uh, but don't ask like a lot of questions and mm. more like listen. And, mm. and that is more an observation phase mm. um, before you go to do your first first few checks. I, I fully empathize with that, right? Because I think empathy for the founders is important. It's important not to waste your time. But for somebody who is looking at angel investing, what are some tips that you have with regards to like, you know, what are things to look out for? So this is like what a VC will look at, but then you kind of like whittle it down because they are actually investing at a very, very early stage. Well, I think what we'll keep in mind is like a sales thing because you need to sell your way into the, the round. Mm. So first you need to have the deal flow, but then you need to convince also the founder about why you. And the smaller will be your check size, the yep. more you need to provide. So either you provide a name because, for example, you are the managing director of Adobe APAC mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then looks good on the deck of the founder to close the round. Say that, yeah, so, you know, we had this guy from Adobe. So that is a good thing. Yeah. Or you could be very strong in one thing, for example, storytelling mm-hmm. or in sales, mm-hmm. or could be B2B sales on enterprise mm. or... It could be you're great in HR or in something else. Mm-hmm. So that is will be some value and some support you can provide later on to the entrepreneur. Mm. And he will value those kind of things, especially the second time founders. Mm. Um, so interestingly, I found it's easier to enter second time founders capable mm. than first time. So meaning it's easier to invest in the second time because I think they see more value and they understand more what you can provide to them. Mm-hmm. And they have more clear expectation of what they can get and what they cannot get from an angel. Mm, got it. But then you say, again, going back to the amateurs, right? How many of them can actually manage like that number of companies? Like you're saying half a dozen. Well, I right? mean, a lot of will do a check and it's kind of they buy a nice watch and they put it in the closet. Yes. <laughs> as they spend the money and then they don't do so much. And maybe one day they check and then it's like, okay, that bring back money or it's worth zero. Mm. Um but a lot of them will don't spend that much time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit like the VC. A lot of people will claim they're super helpful. Mm-hmm. But when you ask the <laughs> entrepreneur, they may have like 30, 40 people on their cap table across a few rounds. Mm. Is less than five. That How are many really of them are actually helpful. adding Maybe value? Maybe two or three that really add value and are really helpful. Mm. Is very few, very few, very few. Mm. That's true. Although maybe some VC funds assume that 
that you know the the company hasn't has reached a stage where they don't need hand holding or they assume that somebody else is already doing that. So they it's not that sometimes it's not because that they cannot, but then they just feel well, that the, they, the way I look at it is. For me, the minimum requirement is two to three years, meaning mm. at least until the next round. And I call that more like a tour of duty. So mm. as an investor, you have, for me, obligation to support the company mm. as much as you can during those two to three years. Mm. Then when a new set of investors come, it's more their duty. But if you can still be helpful, it's good if you can. Mm. Um, but I think the core is really that two to three years or 18 months to 36 months when when they really need you until the next round. Mm. I think that is really what I feel like my obligation are. Mm. Uh, and the rest, as much as I can, I do. But mm. if they already have very helpful other people, you also need to let the other people be helpful. Do their thing, right? Yeah. Yes. But for somebody who's like um, looking to get into angel investing, right? So one thing they said, like, it's important to look at a lot of deals, right? The number that you're saying is at 100. But you also talked about being able to double down, right? So how would you kind of like advise somebody who's very new to angel investing to think about that? Well, the way I approach it is first, diversify as much as possible. Mm. So doubling down doesn't really help you to diversify because mm. you put more money into one of the very few companies mm. you already invest in. Mm-hmm. So it depends also about how much cash do you have. But I feel first, it's better to spread across different companies mm-hmm. to diversify as much as possible your risk. And then later on, you may double down in some. But mm. what people need to be aware is you don't have much opportunity to double down because if the round is fully oversubscribed, it's likely that the first one that not allowed to do a prorata mm. will be the angels. So, And then if you don't do your prorata, meaning you you conserve your ownership in the company at that round, it's very unlikely that you have any allocation on the next round. <laughs> yeah. So and, and some funds will also say if you don't invest 50K or 100K in that round, you, you lose your prorata. So yes. even if you exercise... You, you do it, you, you may lose it. Yep. So it's a very small window to be able to do it. Mm. Um, so we should, a little bit of FOMO and in, 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 in for you as an angel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say it's better to spread first. Mm-hmm. And anyway, you do a small check. So even if your prorata is not going to bring much money to the company, so it's not going to change anything for them. Yeah. Uh, you're going to bring way more value if you're really helpful to them mm. compared to doing your prorata. So I, w- I would honestly advise to, to do your prorata on the first few deals. Mm-hmm, fair point. And, and typically, you know, for angel investors, how much of their total net worth do you see them actually allocate to angel investing? Because obviously, they have some of it in equities, maybe some of it in crypto, some of it in... It's like not the first asset class that they put money in. No, and it's a very unique one because it's a double opt-in asset class. So mm. meaning it's not only because you want to invest that you can, because the founder knew also to pick you. Yes. Uh, so it's a very unique one. You want to buy Apple stock, you don't need to convince Tim Cook to let you in, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so often people will, will recommend to don't have more than 5% of your net worth into data sets, mm. uh, mostly due to the risk of it, because right. it's a super risky one. And as we already discussed, it's also... Highly illiquid. Highly illiquid. Mm. Um, the risk is it's something people need to be comfortable with. Mm. And sometimes just a way to deal with it is just like, as soon as you wire the money, consider that outside of your net worth mm-hmm. and if it come back is a bonus <laughs> okay but if it doesn't come back you're not really like thinking about hey i have 100k or 200k that are being invested in those company and count that especially when you invest in company those numbers goes up and down and you try to assess them and it's quite difficult mm. some company can be worth a lot of money i mm-hmm. mean if you invest in ftx mm-hmm. at one point it was worth 32 billion today's mm-hmm. worth zero right yes yeah so then you can have like a five-digit multiple in that company if you're an angel. Mm. Uh, I mean, they, they haven't done an angel round, but let's say they have done one. And today's was zero. Yep. So it's, it's something people need to be comfortable with. Mm. And it's very difficult because you cannot predict the future. And even if you talk to some top investors, like, for example, Jeff Clavier, 
at Uncork, he invests around 40 companies per fund at the seed stage. And even if him that is doing that for close to 20 years and is considered as being one of the top investors will tell you, I don't know which one is going to succeed. Mm. He feels when you do the 40 deals that each of them have the potential, but he doesn't know which one is going to be the home run. Mm, yeah. So it's very, very difficult to predict. Mm. And that's why you need to diversify as much as possible to be likely to get at least your money back mm -hmm. and maybe more. People who angel invest, you know, do you think there are any like patterns that you see when it comes to like personality traits? Well, right? It takes a certain type of yeah, individual. I mean, unfortunately, first, we don't see that many women. I wish we will see more women and mm. there's some initiative to, to have more women in that space. But there's also two other things that may don't help that much is one, you need to be very comfortable with risk. Mm -hmm. Men are more Comfortable with risk or more irresponsible? I don't know <laughs> which one we should it's go for. Thing. Or maybe it's both, right? Yeah. So, yeah, you, you are comfortable with risk when you're successful and you're irresponsible if you're not successful. That's a great, right? that's a maybe great quote. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a way to look at it. Mm. And the second, you also need to have quite a bit of money because uh, you need to be an accredited investor. So it's mm -hmm. something that is also regulated. So that it means in the US, it needs to be 200K income per year mm -hmm. for the last few years mm. as, as a single person or 300k as a, as a couple yeah and there's other way to look at it um there's a lot a lot of other criteria and us also started to have something around knowledge and not only about what is your net worth because mm -hmm. it doesn't mean because you have money you know what you do as an angel investor yeah um, but i think it was maybe a way to think people can afford it if they are more wealthy even trading on in the stock market they kind of want to assess your level of like financial knowledge right i mean they try their best too but you know a lot of people just get past that anyway yeah it's <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> there's some regulation and i think at the end of the day is to protect the retail investors mm -hmm. from fraud but mm -hmm. we have seen also a bunch of fraud and a lot of top people getting caught in those fraud too yes uh, as investors so i think we've seen that a lot of it in the last year right robin hood GameStop, like, you know, there's just a lot of people on Reddit just, like, putting money in things that they, you know, they don't necessarily fully, fully understand. I mean, fraud is just a very small part of it. Mm. Most of them are going to fail because it's super risky and it's super difficult to build a business. Mm -hmm. So failure will be what happened most of the case. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it will be a fraud. Mm. Um, and, and some of them are quite big and we hear a lot about them. But most of the business are just going to shut down because they don't have product market fit. They didn't yeah. manage to find the customers and mm -hmm. people that are willing to pay for their products. Mm -hmm. And some other business, are maybe with, they, they get way too much money from the investors. Mm -hmm. um, so you can look at a lot of ride-dealing apps and they're struggling now to find a, a real business model and way to make money. Mm. Um, but in those one, if you're an angel, maybe you can have a, I will call that a Cinderella strategy. It's you invest early and you exit before the whole thing fail. <laughs> and, <laughs> so. and, and talking about exit, right? What are the different ways in which an angel investor can get their exit? Because the, the Cinderella one is actually a the Cinderella strategy. is a good one, right? Yeah. So so that would be secondaries. And there's mm. one way to exit, um, meaning you're going to sell either to existing investors or to new investors who want to get part of the company. Mm. And if the company at that time is like doing super well, uh, is going to be a fight for it. And is you're likely getting offered to sell your shares. Yes. Usually, there you're going to share the 20% discount compared to the price of the round. Yeah. Um, the reason is because you come with shares that are a little bit less good than mm. the latest one that is going to be issued in terms of right yes. uh, for the investors. Mm. But it happened for the both to me that I got offered to get acquired the same price on the round. So basically, mm. it's a premium because my share are not as good as the latest one. 
I think the highest one I've seen at the late stage company was Stripe, where mm-hmm. at one point the last valuation of Stripe was around 90 billion, 90, mm-hmm. and they were secondaries at above 160 million. Oh, so 160 billion, sorry. Okay. So super, super high. So mm. that just showed the whole attractive that company for some investors. Mm. Doesn't mean it's a good deal, mm. <laughs> but if some people sell it, secondaries at 160 billion. Uh, which is almost twice the last valuation. That yes. is insane. But how so that often is, do you yeah. see that? No, that is super rare. Yeah. Like the, the common thing is 20% discount. Mm. If you sell at the same price at the run, it's already pretty good. Mm. Uh, if you get 5, 10, 20% above, it's already quite rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting 1.7 times above, like Stripe, that is insane. Mm. That, that is really like an exceptional outcome in, in secondaries. And especially also at those amounts. Mm-hmm. So the secondary is one way to exit. The second, the most frequent one would be M&A. So just the company got acquired. But the angels would be the last one to get paid. Of course. So you need to be sure that the exit is pretty good. Mm. If the exit is not so good, they're going to pay first the last investors. But the angel investor can't say anything to kind of stop the exit anyway, right? So I guess that's my point. There's some very unique cases where where everyone is having the same rights. But Mm. that like is super rare. Very rare. Um, Yeah. For people who do logistics, they will be very familiar with like last in, first out. FIFO. Uh, LIFO. Yeah, LIFO La- and last all in, that. first out. So that is that what happened on a cap table. Mm. Um, so the last investors will be the first one to get out mm. and is likely to have a 3x uh, liquidation preference. Yes. So meaning they're going to get at least three times the money yes. they invested. Mm-hmm. And you wish they get it because then it means there's enough for you at the end. Mm. If they don't get it, they're likely to take almost everything mm. that the m is providing in terms of money and mm. you're going to get almost nothing if mm. if not, they're going to get nothing. How often have you seen entrepreneurs kind of really avoid that kind of, not even say 3x, even a 2x liquidation preference? Well, the, the challenges on the emerging market, you will see that at early stage. Mm. Um, and I think at early stage, you are here to just support the entrepreneurs. So you mm. may just want for 1x. So it's kind mm-hmm. of if something happens, you get your money back. Yeah. Um, your goal is not to make money out of like very tiny exits. Mm. Your goal is to make money out of the very few outcome. Mm. So something we didn't discuss, but a lot of funds will do 20 investment per fund. Mm. You're likely to have only one investment that is going to return the whole fund. Yeah. And then you're going to have maybe two or three that are good. Mm-hmm. And then the rest, maybe one X. That you already and, write and off. most of it just die. Yeah. So trying to get a little bit of money of the one that do one X or dying, it's kind of waste of your time. Mm. The focus is on the one that's going to bring all the money back. Yeah. So it depends. Some investors are going to spend a lot of time and be very troublesome on the negotiating for the yeah. Mm. But again, as an angel, there's not much you can do there. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in such situation, it's really second time founders will be more productive of angel than first time mm. because they will have a little bit more appreciation for you being year early and take yes. a lot of risk yep. but again angels are like founders are going to get paid last so mm. <laughs> you want big outcome and it's why sometimes people can feel like oh wow that company got acquired for 200 million but you're like okay but there's like four co-founder and then you maybe have raised a lot of money so people will feel like wow 200 million congrats but mm. sometimes founders will get zero out of that mm. but at the same time for example you can get an exit I know an exit in South Asia was around 20 million mm-hmm. The founder never raised money, mm. single founder, mm. solo founder. So it barely gave any equity to these employees because okay. he was able to pay them well. Mm-hmm. So if you own 98% of that company and is like a 20 million exit, mm. you make more money than those four founders that raise maybe 50, 200 million and get a 200 million exit. Yeah. So it's a very different type of profiles there. Mm. And it's not what seems be a big exit that will bring the most money. Yeah. Um. So if you look at two companies that been valued at least at one point for 40 billion between Grab and Canva, mm. I would prefer to be an angel in Canva than Grab because to reach a 40 billion valuation, 
Grab raised around 14 billion, mm -hmm. uh, whereas Canva only raised 1.6 billion. Yeah. So you prefer to be in the one that is going to be way more capital efficient. Mm. Because if Canva got acquired for 14 billion, everyone is getting money. Yes. If Grab get acquired for 14 billion and you are an angel, mm. again, Grab haven't done an angel round. Yes. <laughs> they said more at the Series A stage with Vertex. Mm. Um, you're going to get nothing. But that also assumes that the, an angel investor would have a view on how capital efficient or not capital efficient this business is going to be. And also, it's also tied into how the entrepreneur's personality, right? Because some entrepreneurs are, you know, they're like, they like to build like empires, right? They want to, they, their vision is to have like armies of data scientists that are very expensive, right? Whereas another founder might be very capital prudent, is very exit-oriented and saying that, okay, I, I, there is a product market fit, but I'm not going to spend like gazillions of dollars to like spray the, yeah. the market with ads for people well, to buy my product. There's like a lot of things in life. It will be about balance. Mm. So if you don't spend enough, it's also not good because mm -hmm. you need to grow the business. Mm. But you also know there's some businesses, for example, if we go back to ride-a-link or to logistics, that is going to be super capital intensive mm -hmm. by default. Mm. It's just the way those businesses are run. Yeah. Uh, if you're into real estate and you're going to build building, <laughs> there's no way to get an 80% margin, right. 80 out of that. Right. But if you're building software, yes. it's, it's going to be way more difficult to get your product market fit compared to building building. Yes. But you can get a very high two-digit margin out so of those businesses. Typically, I mean like, of course, margins differ very much across businesses and obviously hardware and software margins are different. But let's say for you, given that you look at software, like apart from margins, what else do you look at? Well, as an angel, often you don't look at margins yeah, because it's they, so early. they don't have sometimes even if a product or mm. they're not going that not going yet to monetize it. Mm. So sometimes you see it, but most time you don't. So mm. at that stage, it's a lot about people mm -hmm. and it's a lot about saying who is able to execute. Mm. So for example, one deal I haven't done because it was too much a face of B2C for me. It was Glint in Singapore. Mm, yeah. So I didn't did because it wasn't really fitting my investment thesis. But what truly impressed me is the speed of execution of the founder mm. because they were helping at that time. Their focus was about internship. It was mm. not like the, the, the big platform that you can see now. Yeah. And I mentioned to them at that time, I was like, but you know what is very tricky is when you want to recruit an intern, I don't know what is the period of internship at SMU, at NUS, <laughs> at NTU, at SUSS in Singapore and mm. all the school. I'm like, I don't know. I think the next day, they build like a map of internship to showcase the visually. I mean, mm. I, I was pitching them visually that too. Mm. And I was like, wow, those guys like really execute yeah. like really fast to get things done. Mm. Where some of them will just have put that in a corner for like weeks, if not months. And not maybe not have factor on it, right? Because oh, it doesn't yeah. really add immediate value to so, whatever So you may look more at those kind of thing about who is able to execute what is also the founder market fit so mm. don't fall too much in love with the product or mm. the service they're building because it's likely to not be the one <laughs> in five or ten years yes <laughs> so that's changed a lot so mm. don't fall in love with that but more about does that founders know well about the market does the idea make sense but don't fall in love with it and look can they build something around that mm. and of course if the founder come from that industry it's easier to get the product I mean the founder market fits mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes they don't but they learn super fast mm. so so the speed of learning is also something super important mm -hmm. because founder will always need to learn because mm -hmm. running a five people company a hundred people company or one thousand or ten thousand it's completely different jobs. Yeah. Yes. The only way to succeed there is to be able to learn all the time. And you will see some founders that have that ability to learn like super fast. Mm. And that is something that is going to be helpful to them. But it's not enough. But it's something that is going to be helpful. So you can look at a lot of different criterias. 
And some angels will be focused about, oh, I want them to come from top school. Some other angels will be focused on other criterias, like I want them to have worked for five or 10 years in the industry. Mm -hmm. You can look at a lot of things, right? Mm. But you go back to Glint's, they, they drop out. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> they have zero experience, mm. <laughs> yeah. work experience at that time. Mm. Um, I think they were doing a little bit of internship. <laughs> uh, so they knew about internship and they started by that angle. So mm. they get to know a little bit what it means and the difficulty there. But it works pretty well for them. So I guess the last point, right? Because I think the the sort of like the more technical factors aside, what kind of personality traits should let's say somebody who's just go going into it? What should they look out for? You want to find people that are really going to be committed because mm. that is going to be a ten years, if not more, journey. If that works out, how do you actually test that? Because it's one thing to hear someone say that they're very committed. I guess over time, do you have a better read of entrepreneurs well, when you say that they're the committed? Well, you will see about the passion of the problem, like if it's really something they want to solve and get a sense about why they're solving that problem. For example, if you see people that have a solution, like, oh, I have Web3. I want to build something in Web3. <laughs> that, I was like, I will say 95 or 99% of mm -hmm. the time, not a good point of st mm -hmm. to start with. Mm. So you want someone to start more with a problem than with a solution. Mm. It's really about why that problem bothers them. Mm. And how long do you think they they can stick into it because they're so pissed off about it and they really want to solve it. Mm. Because it's going to be 10 years, but not nine to five and five days a week. Even yeah. if the 996 in China will be a very small commitment for funders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's going to be a very long thing and it's a lot of sacrifice mm -hmm. um, that you need to go through. I mean, you will see a lot also of funders, but what is important is who, who support them. So do they have a partner that is working and having a stable job? That yes. helps a lot. Yes. Uh, and we don't talk too much about those people. Or even having children or just having, let's say, you know, somebody actually has significant enough financial obligations, then obviously being an entrepreneur, you're not going to get a big payout anywhere near soon. And even the salary that they pay themselves is certainly not high. Oh, it's also likely the first few years, some of them will even if don't pay any salary to themselves exactly. and, yes. because they will have equity and they decide they want to put all in in the business. So you yes. also see founders will be because they have been a little bit successful before they work in some corporate jobs like, hey, I'm putting two to 300k of my own money into the business. Mm. Um, I've seen that many times. I've seen founders saying like, hey, I live in a condo, but I just moved to an HDB because mm -hmm. I want to spend less and mm -hmm. I want to put more and more money as much as possible in my business. Mm. So you will see that is kind of really showing like action about how they're doing it and not just Actual like... skin in the game. Yeah, not just like, hey, I'm committed, I'm going to do it. Mm. When you see them having those kind of moves, mm. they give you some indication that they're more committed. But mm. it's a lot of small signals and it's very difficult and there's not one way to know that is a perfect way to invest and mm. every founders or every deals will come in a different shape so there's always these things you don't like and things you you really like but if you focus on what you don't like you can say no to every deals yeah you can always it's super easy to find 20 reasons for not doing a deal yes it's super super easy mm. um so it's about find a few things that that are enough to convince you. Be careful of a few red flags. So, for example, integrity mm -hmm. uh, is a red flag for me. Yes. Uh, so, there's a few things like that. You'll be like, okay, that is no deal. There's mm. no way I'm going through that. Otherwise, you need to look at very a few strong points and things that convince you. But it's very difficult because you may do a, a good deal for the wrong reason. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it will take you 10 years to know if it was the, the right deal or not. Mm -hmm. And 10 years down the road, and can by you then replicate you things? Written, no, you cannot. Off. Yeah. So, so it's something also very unique because the feedback loop is like super slow. Mm. And you know you have done the right deal, but you still don't know if you did it for the right reason. Mm. Often okay. I feel like the most successful people, you may feel that too humble, 
But I think it's just what it is. It's just like, it's impossible to really know. Yeah. Some people may think, oh, you're amazing at picking. Or maybe they just have an amazing deal flow. Which is right? which brings back to the, your first point, right? Which is the most important thing is to basically have access to deal flow. Oh yeah, because and if, the of the because education if you have the best deal flow and you're not so good at picking, but you do a diversified approach, you are likely to eat something great. Mm. If you have a crappy deal flow and you're the best at picking, <laughs> you're still going to pick a crunch crap. Yeah. So I personally prefer to have the best deal, deal flow and be not so good at picking than the opposite. Mm, okay. But for people who want to find out more, where can they find you? Or like, you know, do they find you on LinkedIn? Do they yeah, hit a- LinkedIn is, is a great one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say for deal flow, the best way if you want to get is you need to share first. Mm. I've seen a lot of amateur angel expecting like, hey, share your deals. But I'm like, if I want to share and get someone else to invest with me, I'm going to find someone that is that doing super well as an angel right? and not bring someone that it just taught his experience. Uh, but Angel Network had a great way to start. Um, mm-hmm. In Singapore, people can go around like XA Network or are they Angel, Angel Central? Angel Central, yeah. Mm-hmm. Angel Central. Right this, yep. Yeah. Mm. And that, that will provide some deal flow uh, mm-hmm. for, for anyone who wants to look at Angel Investing. Cool. And for people who want to find you, I guess we'll put in your LinkedIn. Any Anywhere else that they can find you? Uh, LinkedIn is the best one. Okay. It's, uh, it's, you it's reply where to I'm, everyone? I'm the most active. Yeah, I reply to everyone on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. And uh, interestingly, uh, then not everyone reply. People just drop you LinkedIn invitation without context and then you reply to them and a bunch of them never reply to you. So <laughs> I don't know. I think some people are just willing to uh, just new connection. But <laughs> I guess so. And you have the newsletter as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mm. have, have a few. Thanks for coming on to talk about indoor investing. I think it's something that people often talk about but they don't know how to get into it so I think this was actually quite a good primer to how to get into it as well as like you know your insights just having operated in the space and how VCs think about it so I think it was super helpful so thanks so much for coming down thanks for having me genius thank you many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in this has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on MeListen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness podcast is an original production from Mediacorp and recorded at Skate Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time. <laughs>